I was about 10 or 11 years old when I first rode my first roller coaster. I was tricked by my sister, who is here today and cannot defend herself for she has not a microphone. <laughs> I was tricked by my sister who did not have anyone to ride with her on our family vacation. She is a sinner. who has since repented of her sin and received the Lord Jesus as Savior and King. The coaster presented itself as a water ride. She used this to her advantage, knowing that I would ride water rides. And so I'm in line, but before the time that I realized that this was not a water ride, it was too late. Could not see my parents. I could not get out of line. The next thing up is to sit in that seat and they strap you in. And before I knew it, I was going up slowly and turning down fast at about 100 miles per hour. In fairness, I love roller coasters now. That has nothing to do, that part has nothing to do with the message. I'm thankful that my sister tricked me and got me on one. But I say that to say that when you read the book of Judges, it is a roller coaster. It is up in obedience and it is down in disobedience. It is up in peace, it is down in stress. During the days of Joshua with the spiritual leadership, it was that slow climb. And when he died, it was that fast fall. And then there was peace again when Israel had a judge that God raised up, and then there was stress again when he died. Pages of obedience and, and then pages of evil, a roller coaster of spiritual life. And as scripture is a mirror, we can often see our real life through the books of the Bible. We can see this in ourselves, how there have been times of spiritual climb and then fast times of spiritual decline. Sin invites consequence. If you look in chapter 3, verse 7, the Bible says that the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. Sin invites consequence. Here in Judges, the people of God were on the downward dive of sin. And it's important that you give sin a name. The, the name of their sin was idolatry and intermarriage. You can see that in the scripture from chapter 2, verse 14, all the way through chapter 3, verse 5, specifically that this is what their struggle was. And their idolatry and their intermarriage with countercultures invited the anger of God. Now, when we read the Bible and see the anger of God, often we don't understand that. We think of God as only holy and loving and kind and compassionate and merciful. And then we see the anger of God, and God is anger because he is holy and righteous. Because when he has set a holy standard, and that holy standard is broken, then according to his righteousness and his holiness, he has a righteous anger. Why would God get so angry? Why would God get so mad at his people? It's a very simple answer. Because all of this matters to him. That's why we get angry. That's why we have a righteous anger, right? Kids, I told you not to do it, and you did it, and now I'm mad. It's an expectation that has been set. It's a justifiable anger, a, a God-sized, glory-filled anger. He had called a people group for himself. His glory was to go out to the entire world through this people group, and then for them to hurt themselves and misrepresent his character, it made him righteously angry. The idolatry of Israel, and idolatry is the worship of something that is created over and above the creator. 
The idolatry of Israel was paired with self-interest, selfishness. Notice chapter 2, verse 19. The last half of that verse says, they, the people of God, went after other gods, serving and worshiping them, and they refused to give up their evil practices and stubborn ways. The evil practices and the stubborn ways belong to who? To them. The King James Version says, they ceased not from their own doings. It's interesting because Ephesians chapter 5, verse 6 says, for a greedy person is an idolater. Meaning the essence of idolatry is self-interest. It is self-indulgence. We make idols out of what we want or what's available to match what we want. That becomes our idol. It becomes what we serve, what we abide by. There's this episode on the King of Queens. Some of you have watched that before. There's this episode on the King of Queens when the dad, whose name is Arthur, is trying to sell a bunch of water filters that he got stuck with in a pyramid scheme. And this brief scene starts with some religious people who are proselytizing at the door of his home. And he opens the door and they make their pitch and Arthur says to them, here's the deal. You become part of the Sparkle Tap water filter team and I will convert to your religion. <laughs> if your God matches my desires, if your doctrine matches the way that I feel, if your church appeals to my feelings, and I'll come to your church, I'll accept your doctrine, I will adhere to your God. If your doctrine aligns with my desires, then I'm in. This is the essence of idolatry. The reasons why people end up worshiping a block of wood, or a ball, or a book, or a person that God has made. Because we have not accepted God for who he is, what his will is, and what he wants. We're going to take how we feel and line it up with whatever God you got. God's people would abandon the spiritual presence of God. God is spirit. Those who worship him, worship him in spirit and in truth. And they would abandon the spiritual presence of God because they felt like they needed something to hold on to. So they would take this block of wood carved up into an image of a false God and it would make them feel better as they could hold it. But just because you feel better doesn't mean you're living in the truth. They would abandon the holy standard of God. The holy standard of God that, thank God, keeps us from ourselves and they would adopt these different belief systems that we looked at last week. And these different belief systems of these false gods would allow for them to physically and sexually indulge themselves. They would abandon God, their provider. For false gods, false gods, mind you, that would call for a food offering to them. Some religions still believe this way, that if you bring this food offering to the little G God, that that little G God would provide for you what you want. Our God does not need us to bring him a bag of bananas and oranges. None of this is God's will. But wanting our way above all. God's word teaches self-denial over self-interest. God's word teaches self-control over self-indulgence. Because the way of the one true God is better. And he is the object of our faith. To make it plain... Choosing the God or belief system, value arrangement that is paired with your self-interest and self-indulgence over and above the one true God and his glory is just this. It's just easier. 
That's a lot of the reason why we end up switching. It's a lot of the reasons why we end up doing something different than we've always done. We know the truth, but yet we started to do this. And the reason why is because if we're honest, it's just flat out easier for us to do. I'm going to tell you, worshiping a false god or adhering to a false doctrine or living by your feelings, there's no standard to abide by with that. It's just self-interest and religious ritual. That's a lot easier. Intermarriage was also part of their sin. As the promised land was concerned, the Israelites were to conquer and drive out the enemy with no, no exceptions. They were to run the nations out of town, take them down, and there were to be, again, no exceptions. But they failed to conquer the land completely. You can read that in the first couple of chapters. And instead of driving out all the people as God had commanded, they intermarried with the daughters of foreign lands and unconquered nations around them. Well, what's wrong with that? What's wrong with intermarrying amongst these foreign nations? If they love somebody then they should just get married to somebody. Well, how many of you know that when you get married, your way doesn't win out all the time? <laughs> yeah, some of you guys are afraid to say amen. It's all right. <laughs> how many of you know when you are married that your way often gives way to the other as you are influenced by the one that you love? Because I am married, I now put salt and pepper on everything that I eat before I even taste it. Because I'm married, I now use koozie for canned drinks. Because I'm married, we watch Law and Order every week of some kind. Because I'm married. Influence happens. It happens, and it happens wife to husband, it happens parents to kids, and it happens families to a culture. So when you see that and keep that in mind, this is the reason why God, who is establishing his prominence and identity throughout the world at this time, said for his people, do not intermarry. Drive these folks out. I raise you up, and then we reach out. The Israelites were specifically told not to intermarry in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 3. But not because of table salt and TV shows, but for influential reasons that were much greater. Here's what the Bible says. You must not intermarry, for they will lead your children away from me to worship other gods. They were supposed to drive out the people, but instead of driving them out, they did the complete opposite. Because of this, the influence of false gods remained, and it twisted up the beliefs. It infiltrated the growing culture of God's people. There must be, listen to this, there must be influence from God's people to all people. But that doesn't happen when God's people are unsettled. We must reach to all people as God loves the world. But it doesn't happen effectively and with credibility until we are settled. Christian, you are not just to be saved, you are also to be discipled. You are to, supposed to know what you believe, be able to defend what you believe, stand on what you believe, so that you may reach out effectively and not back up, but hold influence over the culture that you are reaching. If you don't know enough, know enough. If you need to be in a group that's studying the Word of God together, get yourself in a group and study the Word of God together. Help somebody else study the Word and make disciples. You are not just supposed to have a Savior. You are to have a Lord 
and to know him and his lordship. Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He's taking us over, not just taking us in. There is a time to guard and there is a time to go. And before we are to move out on mission, we have to be sold out to the truth. But the Israelites opened the door to competitive worldviews. And when they made covenants with ungodly people, the influence that they were not above, but side by side with and even below, began to infiltrate the growing culture of God's people. Listen to Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 6. For you are a holy people who belong to the Lord your God. Of all the people on earth, Lord your God has chosen you to be his own special treasure. And there was consequence. Sin invites consequence. Idolatry and intermarriage invited consequence. The consequence of idolatry, intermarriage, you can find that in chapter 2, verse 15. It says that after the days of Joshua, the people of God were in great distress, suffering, sorrow, concern. The land that they were given by God as promised land was now being taken away by those other outside groups that God was meaning to reach with this people group that he was raising up. And now in the just hand of God, he is taking it from his people and allowing the others to take it by consequence of their sin. And I want to make sure that you know the justice of God today because God did not do that without warning. He told them. He told them ahead of time in Joshua 23, 16, if you break the covenant of the Lord your God by worshiping and serving other gods, his anger will burn against you and you will quickly vanish from the good land he's chosen you, or given you. Let me tell you something. God is not going to blindside you with consequences. He's not going to just smite you and be like, you should have known better when you didn't know better. God has given us his son and revealed to us his character through the person of Jesus. God has given us his word, the specific revelation of his character. He wants us to learn by obedience rather than consequence. Did you know that? You learn in one of two ways. You learn by obedience or consequence. We say that in my household a lot. It's good for us to remember as adults. But the people of God forgot the Lord. That's what the Bible says. They forgot him. They went their own way. They lost what was precious to him. If they forgot him and sin invites consequence, then remembrance invites obedience. Remembering invites obedience. Chapter 3, verse 7, they forgot about the Lord their God. They forgot what God said. They forgot what God did. They forgot who they are. God warned them and told them that breaking the covenant would mean losing the land and serving other gods. And what happened? They forgot. God freed them from the hand of Pharaoh. God had done miracles before them, provided them, led them through the wilderness, dropped food out of the sky, made good on the promise of God. They forgot it. Just forgot. God chose them out of all the people groups to be his people. They forgot. And because God is just and because his anger is righteous, the Bible says that he turned them over to a foreign ruler just as he said he would in his warning. How in the world did they forget all that? Same way we do. Same way we do. Same way we go through a day not acknowledging the grace and mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ who hung on a cross for our sins to give us eternal life. Same way we do. We become wrapped up in the world that we live in. 
come wrapped up in the people that we are around, a world that seems like it's all we've got, a world that seems desirable, but it's temporary and it's riddled with sin and self. And we get so wrapped up in that world thinking that this is the priority, we forget the God who created the world to begin with and who redeemed it by the precious blood of his son. And when we get too wrapped up in the world, God is no longer at the top. And for Christians, it becomes this thing where we say, we used to. We used to. We used to interact with Christian leadership. We used to have a pastor. We used to have a group leader. We used to have mentors or whatever you want to call it. We used to acknowledge the Lord together regularly. We used to go to church all the time. We used to be a part of a group that studied God's word. We used to be involved. We used to serve in this ministry. We used to lead this ministry. We used to practice generosity. We used to give. We used to pray over meals as a family. We used to do devotions together as a married couple. We used to talk about God's word. We used to. What does that mean? We forgot. We forgot the value. Listen to this. While forgetting God doesn't happen in a day, because it does not. While forgetting God doesn't happen in a day, used to be becomes what is a lot faster than we think. So to open the door to obedience, we need to remember well and remember more. Did y'all know that Bucky's is coming? <laughs> Bucky's is coming to Athens, Alabama. Isn't it wonderful? I want you to think about this for a second. The signs are everywhere. The signs are online, all over the place. They're hiring, tell you how much they're going to pay. They're on the roads. I was going down 65 South yesterday, and there was one big one with a Bucky sign that said TikTok. Like, it's coming, right? And that wasn't the only one between two miles. People are constantly talking about it. Y'all know Bucky's is coming? Where is it? Right down there. If, if, just by a show of hands, how many of you have mentioned Bucky's or heard of a conversation in the last month about Bucky's? Testify. <laughs> Isn't that something? People are talking about it constantly. But later on, the signs are going to die down. And later on, the voices calm down. And later on, social media will not be as much in relation to Bucky's. And then we forget and we start seeking out spice crackers and brisket from other lesser gas stations. <laughs> and it was not as God had intended. For everybody is to flock down to the superstore, as our associate pastor Greg says, it's a mix between a gas station and Gatlinburg. <laughs> and everybody should flock down there, right? And this is not an endorsement for Bucky's. I've only been there one time. I just know that the buzz around it is huge. But when it dies down, we're like, oh, I forgot that was over there. That's the way that we are. What reminders, let's get practical for just a second. What reminders can an individual or family set so that we won't forget? Lord, would you please take us the rest of the way and help us, Lord, to build this into our life in Jesus' name, amen. What is built in so that you don't drop out? Why don't you write that question down if you take notes. What is built in so that you don't drop out? Number one, there has to be a break. You've got to have a break. Personally, 
as a family, uh, and, and we struggle with this just as much as anybody else individually. I think sometimes we're better with this as a family than we are individuals. But there's got to be a part of the day when the waters are calm. That's the reason why practicing getting up early is better. Not, I'm saying practicing is that is a goal that's before me. There's got to be a time where you can have the opportunity to breathe, an opportunity to bow, and to set your mind on things above. What is the break in your day? Is it the morning? Is it lunchtime? Is it late at night? You've got to have a mental, spiritual break. Why? So that you can remember the price that was paid for the day that is before you. So that you can remember the grace of God as he created you and didn't have to. So that we break and we at least set our focus on the sights of realities of heaven and we take in all of these things, at least a reminder of these things, and study God's Word and learn God's Word and saturate our mind and our heart with the truth of God. There has to be a break, and let me tell you why. Because the world ain't going to give it to you. This world cares not for the break that you need for your spiritual life, for you to do as Jesus did and retreat and get quiet before the Father. You have to take it. There must be a break in order for you to have the best chance of remembering. Secondly, there must be a routine. Families, you've got to build in repetitive acknowledgement so that even as today, as we preach the Word of God, as we sing the Word of God, as we spend time together as the church, this is a repetitive acknowledgement of God. When something comes up, if we've built it into our routine, this time is spoken for. Do you have something so built into your life that when something else competes for it, it's already spoken for? It has to be a routine. God has built those in. He's given us the gatherings on the Lord's Day. He's giving us groups. He's given us the Lord's Supper for the purpose of remembering and proclaiming. I advocate for families to say the blessing together. Sit down and before you eat your food, don't take it for granted that God has provided for you and just acknowledge Him. Amen? And if you don't know how, just talk to the Lord the best way you know how. I advocate that you pray in the car together. Wherever you are going, keep your eyes open, but pray in the car together. That's just wisdom. The world could care less about your spiritual needs. The world could care less about your spiritual routines. And if you let the world determine your routines, it will not call for spiritual remembrance. Hey, I dare you to tell your bosses and your coaches and your coworkers and your friends, we can't make it because we got this. I dare you. You know what? Some of those coaches and some of those teachers and some of those leaders and some of those friends, they're not going to backhand you with, well, you ought to be here. The Spirit of God's going to get them and know that they should too. There's got to be a routine. It's got to be. It's got to be a weekly acknowledgement. And, and you have to be intentional within those routines. Don't just do things for the sake of religion and habit and morality. Do those things so we don't forget God. Amen? Thirdly, there's got to be a relationship. There must be a relationship. Meaning that someone in your life that has the right to call you and be like, Hey, you good? You good? I haven't seen you in a while. Everything going Okay. There's got to be relationships like that. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 12, 
The scripture says, therefore I, Peter said, I will always remind you about these things, even though you already know them and are standing firm in the truth you have been taught. Peter was the reminder. He himself, a person with a relationship to the church, was the reminder. I was talking to a close friend the other day, and I said to him these words. I said, if I ever get to that point, you come and you shake me. And he said, if I ever get to that point, you come and shake me. That relationship is the reminder that if you distance yourself, you got people that are going to reach for you at least, and at most they'll come get you. There must be a break. There must be a routine. There must be a relationship to remember. And then finally, there must be a physical reminder, a physical reminder. In Joshua chapter 4, God performed a miracle as the people moved towards the promised land. He backed up the waters of the Jordan to allow his people to cross. That happened multiple times in Scripture. Once across, he instructed the people to place 12 stones representing the 12 tribes at the place of their camp as a physical memorial reminder. And this is what the Bible says. We will use these stones to build a memorial. In the future, your children will ask you, what do these stones mean? And then you can tell them, they remind us that the Jordan River stopped flowing when the Ark of the Lord's Covenant went across. These stones will stand as a memorial among the people of Israel forever. Now, the greatest memorial that you can have is a changed life. It is living before those that you influence. But physical reminders were given by the Lord for his people to see to make them think about what he's done in the past. So what does that look like for us? What are the, what are the physical reminders that you have in your places of influence, in the homes that you live in, in the cars that you drive? Scripture on the doorpost of your home type stuff, the Bible says. Baptism pictures. I was talking with the Jackson family. I said, when you get these pictures that we've taken, get them, frame them, put them up. And when Satan tries to tell you nothing really happened, you say, no, sir. I remember when God saved me. And I look back to that physical memorial reminder. We have a church pew in the living room of our home. The den, as I call it now, as I'm married, going back to the influential thing. Let me ask you, what will your kids remember? What will your kids remember physically about your home that reminds them that this house was built on the foundation of the Lord Jesus? I remember in the home of my sister and me growing up, my mother had cross-stitch things that were framed. As for me and my house, we would serve the Lord. There, there were different things all around our house that reminded me that we have built this home on prayer and faith in Jesus Christ. Last night, I, I was asking Brittany about this. I said, what, what are the physical reminders in our home that, that remind us that God put us together, is using us for his glory, that we are raising children who need to seek the Lord? What are the physical reminders in our home that, that we have as things that our children will always remember that this home was built on faith? And we talked about those few things for a minute. We got some things hanging up, things set out. Just before, just before we went to bed, Brittany was going to put socks on and she reached in the drawer to get socks and she pulled them out. She starts putting them on and she looks at them. And she goes, uh, like that. And I was like, what is it? She said, you asked for physical reminders. I said, yeah. She said, check this out. Now, I don't know if you can see this or not. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Proverbs chapter three, five. This is on our socks. Some of you may have even given us this. I don't know. I've never seen Brittany wear these ever. 
Sometimes you make it think it's funny, but I'm like, Lord, I know you're trying to put a message together tomorrow whether I'm there or not. <laughs> but this, and it's, it's even like this sock needs to be washed because you wore it last night for a minute. It's, it's, got, a, it's got a state of Alabama. I don't know what the state of Alabama has to do with anything. But I was like, man, you can stand on this and sleep in this. This is a physical reminder to trust in the Lord. We need those. Practically, we, we need those. Don't, don't we have pictures up of our family members to remind us of how much we love them? Don't we have pictures of our family members, of those who have lived and died and gone on to be with the Lord to remind us of what's, what they did for us? Stands to reason practically and principally that we need physical reminders to remind us of the Lord God and his love for us and his faithfulness towards us and his blood that was shed on a cross for the forgiveness of our sins, that if it were not his intervention, that we would spend eternity apart from him in a devil's hell. We need to remember. Finally, we get to this point. It's actually the next to last point, but desperation invites rescue. Desperation invites rescue because the Bible says in chapter 3, verse 9, when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help, because they had experienced the consequence of sin, they had forgotten God, and then they cried out to the Lord for help. Chapter 3, verse 9 says, the Lord raised up a rescuer to save them. Now, I can't remember if I've shared this with you or not, but I'm going to share it again because it was the first thing that came to mind, and this will probably happen years come if the Lord allows me to serve this long. But just last year on fall break, our family went to Dollywood, and, and my sweet little daughter at the time was eight, who's nine now, gets on the first roller coaster she's ever been on. And I'm telling you what, that son of a gun was the real deal. <laughs> it wasn't like a kiddie carnival roller coaster. I was like, oh, wow, this is about to be for real. So she sits down, and she's all about it, and she's ready to go, and that thing takes off 90 to nothing. And all of a sudden, we're in the first loop, and I'm trying to get my head over to see how she's doing, but it's going so fast that I hardly can, but then I heard her. And she said, God save me! God save me! <laughs> Seriously, like every loop. God help! That roller coaster had put a charge into her faith. It had activated the need for God. Like, this is so bad. The only way out is for the hand of God to stop this roller coaster. I want you to think about that, though, how, how the roller coaster that is Judges, it activated the faith of the God's people. And so the Bible says they begin to cry out to the Lord, but not on a roller coaster for fun, but on a roller coaster of distress. God, save us. And, and this was the consequence of their sin. The people of God for eight years, eight years, served that cushion the wicked, served this, this heathen tyrant, oppressor of God's people. Now listen to this. When you live in a foreseeable future and the consequences of your past, there is a desperation for help. A desperation for help. And so the Israelites, instead of feeling they didn't deserve it, and please hear this this morning, instead of getting within their feelings and going, I don't deserve it. I don't deserve God to bail me out. And instead of them trying to do something on their own, apart from God, to prove themselves over and above God, instead of those feelings and those things that they worked through, they cried out to the Lord. They cried out in faith 
because now it's out of their hands and they know they can't do anything about it and they've reached this rock bottom place and they cry out to the Lord. This is a faith solution to a physical problem. And the Lord raised up a rescuer. I love that. I love reading that. The Bible says that the Lord raised up a rescuer. Othniel was filled with the Spirit of God, the Bible says. And the Bible says the Lord gave Othniel victory over the Cushan, the wicked. He raised up a rescuer. These are the judges. This begins the line of the judges. The judges were deliverers. They were spiritual leaders who provided structure for the people of God to rule amongst the people of God. But he also raised them up at times to be warriors, to fight against God's oppressors. Now, here's what I find interesting. The same God who burned with anger just a few verses before and allowed his people to experience consequence is the same God who raised up a rescuer. The same God who answered their cry and their call for help. And the same God who was angry is the same God who went to war for them. See, this is... This is why we need to know who the Lord is. And what does this tell us about God? It tells me that while we may forget God and while consequences are certainly part of the deal, God does not forget his character. God does not forget his promises that he made to his people. It also tells us that God is patient. He's long-suffering. And so I tell you that because don't quit. Don't give up. Did you know that there are real people out there, and some of you may be sitting in the pew today, there are real people that think they cannot be saved. Not with all that they've done, not with the decisions they've made, not if according to telling me by these people who are telling me, I can't get in, I'm too far gone. Have you read the Old Testament? It'll lift your spirits. I mean, these, these, tell me what you got. Tell me what you got. Well, I've done this and this. Have you ever worshiped at a pole of a Shira? Have you ever served the images of Baal, a god who's not even the real god, and a goddess who has to get with the god in order for provision to happen? Have you ever abandoned God to the point where you have served other gods? The truth is, is in principle, we all have. But I put that in context to say that these folks that God desired to save were abandoning him and he let them experience consequences in his justice. But when they called on him, out of his long-suffering patience they came out of his holiness, he sent a rescuer. Man, glory to God Almighty. We stand up and sing now. Amen, we think about that. That at our worst, God is at his best. Don't think that God has written you off. His grace and his guidance is there for your future, for his glory, for your good. You know, I began searching for the times in Scripture when God remembered. And what's repeated is important. Amen? What we sang today is, remember your people. Did we not sing that? Remember your people. Here's what the Bible says. And God remembered Noah. God remembered Abraham. God remembered Rachel. The Lord remembered Hannah. Psalm 106. He remembered his covenant with them and relented because of his unfailing love. We can sing that, remember your people, but hey, I'm going to go on and tell you, he's not going to forget you. He's not going to forget because of who he is. 
While the people of God in their weaknesses often forgot the Lord their God, God does not forget them, and even more, he does not forget his promises. When the people of God surrendered to God's way of rescue, what happened? As God sent a rescuer, a spiritual, spirit-filled leader, a warrior for the cause, a leader, when God sent a spiritual leader and they abided by the truth of God, here's what the Bible says in chapter 3, verse 10. There was peace in the land for 40 years. That's what happens when God wants to rescue you and you let him. There's peace in your life. That means troubles are gone? No, that means you have peace in your life. Finally, death invites a problem. Death invites a problem. Chapter 3, verse 11, the Bible simply says, Then Othniel, son of Kenaz, died. Now remember, students, what happened when the judge died? That roller coaster went straight down. Down in disobedience when the judge died. That's a problem, isn't it? Death is a problem, so the... The lifetime answer as we know it is not a bailout from God. It was not an earthly ruler because the earthly ruler, even if they were good, could not produce a holy nation. A bailout is a temporary thing just like an earthly ruler, and an earthly ruler may not even be faithful. Judges teaches us deliverance from the greatest of human leaders will always be deficient. Please don't rely upon any leader at this church, especially me, for your faith. I'm not the object of your faith. You come home with me, I'll let you down the first five minutes. If we elect leaders that lower the gas prices, and everybody said amen. If we, I'm going to jump on board with that one. I'll tell you, we're going to start carpooling the church. If we elect leaders that lower gas prices, if we elect leaders that create laws that govern every principle that we hold dear, we would still be left with our hearts. We'd still be left with the inside of us that desires to go against a godly standard. A human leader can lead us, but he or she cannot change our heart. Therefore, for us to be changed and right with God, we need an eternal and faithful solution to our eternal and unfaithful problem of sin. In short, when God sent his son Jesus to die on the cross, he got up from the grave Therefore, there is no Jesus died and the people disobeyed. It's not Othniel that is the answer. He is a precursor to the answer. He died to show them that when God sent them the Savior and Lord, the Son of God, when he took matters into his own hands and gave of himself and sent his pure and perfect Son to live for us, to show us how to live, and then his Son died for us, a sacrificial death. Up until that point, the disciples were like, well, I guess here we are back in Judges again. No, sir. Because when Jesus got up for that grave, God was endorsing Jesus as this is the one. There will be no more leaders. There will be no more judges. He is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and the Spirit of God who testifies to everything that he says is going to begin to work in your hearts and change you from a stony, stubborn fool to an obedient, spirit-guided, valued image-bearer of God. This is what God gives through Jesus. I would suggest to you today that you need a faith solution to your physical problem. 
Turn from your sin and turn to God by faith in Jesus. He is the rescuer that God the Father raised up. Do not forget him. Do not forget God's ways. Do not forget the price that he paid, the eternal solution that he made for all of our problems. Are you on the outside looking in? Call on God. Are you on the inside but far away from his way and his will? Call on God the same. As you think about who you are today, give as much thought to who he is and that he is faithful to respond when those in need call upon his name. Amen? Amen. Let's stand to our feet. As you stand, as we get ready to respond, I want you to know that this altar is open, that we have decision counselors here to help you work through things that you're going through. We have pastors here. If you want to join the church today, if you want to be baptized, you need to get your family in the baptismal waters. We can help you answer questions about that. If you need to be saved today, if you think to yourself, I hear what you're saying, I'm, I'm not on the inside at a distance, I'm on the outside looking in. Would you bow with me? If, if in your heart and mind you are thinking right now that you need to be saved, I'm going to ask you to do two things. One, would you just call upon the name of the Lord Jesus? If you have a desire to turn from your sin and turn to God, would you place your faith in Jesus? Would you call upon the name of the Lord? Would you cry out to God in your heart to be saved? How do I do that? The best way you know how. Confess that you're a sinner. Believe that Jesus is the way to God. Call on him right now in the quiet of the moment. As all of our heads are bowed and eyes closed, I would also say that if you have cried out to the Lord, you've called on the Lord to be saved, I'm going to ask you just with our eyes closed, hearts bowed, heads bowed. If you've made a profession of faith, would you please let us know? I'm not walking that aisle. You ain't gotta walk the aisle. Find me afterwards. Find our, our pastors. But man, why not? Why not just go ahead and step out, let the Lord carry you down? Just tell somebody, I have called on the Lord to be saved. That's all you gotta say. Lord, there are decisions to be made because the word has been read. There are decisions that need to be made because your spirit is working in our heart and our mind towards lining up with your truth. Father, I pray that we be encouraged today by what we've seen in the baptismal waters. God, I pray that we be encouraged today by what's in your word, but I also pray today, oh God, that wherever we are, if we are apart from you, that, Lord, we would turn to you and follow hard after you, Lord. Thank you, oh God, for this church that you've put together for your glory. Lead us, O oh Lord, now as we respond. God, if there are heavy hearts in here today, Lord, if there are people that are going through a difficult, stressful situation, Lord, during this time of prayer, would you meet with them? Spirit of God, would you guide them into all truth, even about how they should feel? Lord, I thank you today for speaking to our hearts, and we pray that you lead us as we go from here into the world to reach the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. This altar's open for you.